Well, good morning. Good morning. And uh, so nice to be here with you. Um, I'm glad that God made it possible for me to come. And uh, work is always a good thing because it takes you around, at least my type of work. And uh, it brought me here again uh, for a couple of weeks. I've got meetings tomorrow, but I'm here till about this, till the 16th, actually, uh, when I head back home to India. But it's always nice to see all of you. Um, always have fond memories of our times together as we worshipped and uh, learned from God's word. And it's, uh, it's nice. So, um, I was with Emmanuel in uh, July in Nairobi. Uh, and, uh, and he'd invited me to speak. Um, they, they'd had a conference for professionals, about 350 of them. Uh, and... And you know that Emmanuel is part of the Global Mentorship Network that he, uh, he, he's the president of. And so, um, so I was there. And um, I just thought this morning, I, and Henry has asked me to speak next week as well. But I thought this morning I'd just kick us off by, by reflecting a little bit on, on some of the thoughts that I had shared with the group uh, back in Nairobi. Subsequent to that, Emmanuel was in India as well. And... Uh, uh, and so he, we took him up, I took him up home and we spent three good days together with Mary and Abby uh, and uh, just a little bit with Nathan, it was good to be with Emmanuel. But part of uh, what, the focus of, of that particular conference was to do with building up uh, disciples, uh, mentoring and coaching and uh, just getting a sense of what it means to be uh, Christ's followers. And I was asked if I would speak on uh, the pathway to radical spiritual formation. And I just thought if you're going to become like Christ anyway, it's radical enough. But um, as I reflected on it and as, 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 we began, as I began to think through that whole topic, um, and especially speaking to a group of professionals, um, just also to put it in language that they would understand, there were three questions that I focused on. And I'd like to bring that to us today, just for our reflection. And then next week, I'll pick up from this, and then we would do a little bit more of an expository study. This is more a bit of a topical sermon, um, which I typically don't do but I will do it today. So it's a little more thematic in terms of what does it mean to be spiritually formed? How do I get to being spiritually formed? And I suppose that is a question that's crucial for us anywhere. Doesn't matter where you come, where, where we come from. And I, I, I find that this is a question that I must ask of seminary students over and over again in India as I travel around and visit seminaries. Um, how are you being spiritually formed? Um, how important is it for you to be spiritually formed? Uh, can you be fully spiritually formed at some point, or is it a constant, ongoing process? And obviously, it is an ongoing process. It's something that keeps happening. But what is it, and how do we get there? And so there are three questions that I'd like to reflect on with us this morning. How do I get spiritually? How, how, how does one get spiritually formed? What is the process that takes place? And the first question is, who are you? Who are you? If I don't know who I am, I'm nowhere near beginning knowing what it means to be spiritually formed. 
And it seems like it's a bit of a superficial question. And you're saying, but of course I do know who I am. Do you? What is it that you identify yourself with? What is it that gives you identity? That is really the question we want to ask. What is it that gives you identity? Today, probably in the US, your identity is now defined by who you're going to vote for, I suppose. <laughs> and the whole world is watching with bated breath. All that's happening around the country. I think it was J.K. Rowling who said, uh, I think she put a tweet out, um, Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling. She put a tweet out saying, uh, we're all keenly watching what's going to happen uh, in the US with these elections. And then somebody tweets her back and says, it's not your business, you're in the UK. <laughs> and then she responds and says, well, it is my business, depending on who's got their finger on those codes for the nuclear, for the nuclear weapons. She said, it is our business, it's not just your business. But that aside, sometimes I think we, def you know, oh, depending on who I vote for, that determines who I am. And a lot of our discussion probably today is taken up with that, and probably rightly so. Or maybe our identity is defined by what we've done, or what we've achieved, or what degrees you might have. Or maybe your identity is defined by your background, your ethnicity. And these are all the things that define us on a, hu on, on, on a human scale, isn't it? I'm reminded though of a quote that I read, or actually not even a quote, a, an illustration. And I might have shared this with us years ago, but I will do it again. But this was a book that I'd been reading uh, by a man called Stuart Briscoe, a pastor. And in that book, it's, it was titled Everyday Discipleship for Ordinary People. And in that book, he writes about a young lady who introduced herself in this manner. She said, and this was in a Bible study group, a first meeting, and he was wanting to break the ice. And so he went to this young girl who was sitting on the floor, a, a lively, vivacious young lady. And this is how she introduced herself. She said, my name is uh, Christine. We'll just give her the name. I forget the name, but... What she said is important. My name is Christine, and I am a disciple of Christ, skillfully disguised as a factory worker. I am a disciple of Christ, skillfully disguised as a factory worker. I still remember that. And this was in those years when we were working with Youth for Christ in, in the city of New Delhi, uh, probably in the early 1990s. And that's never, ever left me. It sort of hit me right between the eyes because it seems to me that this young lady had figured it out, maybe not more than 22 years old. But she understood her identity. Her identity was wrapped up in Jesus and in being a disciple of Jesus more than anything else. And in fact, isn't that what Jesus himself calls us to be, his disciples? And as he walked the shores of Galilee, and you go back and read through the Gospels, and as he asks those men, come follow me, and women a little later on, come follow me, he was saying, come be my disciple. And let that be your identity, your first and foremost identity. 
in India today, everybody is, and as around the globe, everybody is worried about identity issues. If you're not this, then you're that, not you're that, and if you're that, I don't like you. Uh, and if you're that, this is what I'm going to do to you, because you are not like me. But you see, those type of, that, that type of language doesn't, in fact, must not appear when we are dealing with the body of Christ. The bottom line, we're all disciples of Christ. Everything else set aside. We are disciples of Christ. But it is knowing my identity also that determines my goal then. And so knowing my identity is important. Who are you? Do you view yourself primarily as a disciple of Christ? And if I don't view myself as a disciple of Christ, then I've got my goal wrong as well. My ultimate purpose and also how I will get there. But you and I are disciples of Christ. And that is the bottom line. So our identity as disciples of Christ, well this is what de defines our identity. But knowing my identity is at the heart of being formed spiritually. If this is not who I perceive myself to be, a disciple of Christ, I might as well not talk about being formed spiritually. So knowing my identity is at the heart of being formed spiritually. Knowing my identity also then determines my ultimate goal. Which leads me to the second question. Who are you first? Do you know your identity? And this might just be affirming something we already, uh, uh, we already understand uh, in terms of who we are. But here's the second question. What is your goal then? What is your goal? If your identity is wrapped up in Jesus, what is your goal? What is the end that you have in mind to speak management language? What is the end? And we're always told we must begin with the end in mind. So if you are a disciple of Christ, what is your goal? And scripture gives us some indicators on that. And I want to draw our attention to a couple of those. Turn with me first to Romans, if you will. I remember some time ago, Rhea had done a whole study through Romans. Wasn't it, Rhea? Yeah. So Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles or your, or your uh, or scripture verses on your phones. Romans chapter 8. And look at verses 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And look especially at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is a bit of a challenging passage simply because it has caused a lot of controversy uh, through history. And people have always wondered about this whole business of did God know, does God know people are going to be saved and who will be saved? And there's a big debate that rages, that, that has raged around that whole, that whole question. But if you were to look at it carefully, this verse actually talks about something else. For those whom he foreknew, what did he predestine them to become? He predestined them to be 
become like his son. He predestined them to be conformed or to grow into the likeness of Jesus, into Jesus' image. If you look at Galatians chapter 4, and just flip over to Galatians 4 and verse 19. Look at what Paul says here. And he's, uh, he's writing to the Galatian church. The, the, the church in Galatia, in Galatia had, had sort of moved away from the gospel that Paul had brought, the gospel he received directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at what he says here. He says, verse 18 and 19, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I'm present with you, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until... You can read that. Say that. Until Christ is formed in you. So what is our goal? If my identity is wrapped up in who Jesus is and the fact that I am his disciple, then my goal is to become like my master. Until Christ is formed in us. And that is huge. It's huge. That that is my ultimate goal. That is my ultimate purpose in life. I remember growing up and uh, going to a youth group in India. Um, and Indian Christianity was heavily influenced by Western Christianity and a lot of American evangelical Christianity. And you are always faced with this question, do you know what God's will is for your life? And, and this had to do in terms of where I was going to be, what I was going to be doing. And as a young guy in grade 12, then going on into university, I was always asked this question, do you know God's will for your life? And that always left me jittery and worried. It seemed like everybody else knew God's will, and I just didn't know God's will. It wasn't until about four years ago, I was preparing to speak at a seminary chapel, and I was reading through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And Paul writing, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians, uh, the book of Colossians. And Paul is writing to the church, and he talks about the mystery of the knowledge of the will of God, which is Christ. And as I read through that chapter, it suddenly just dawned on me, all this, this questioning of do you know God's will and me getting jittery and worried was far from the truth of the word of God. God's will is simply this for my life, that I know Christ and I become like him. Everything else falls into place. Whether God moves me here or God moves me there, that is secondary. The important thing is, that I know the mystery of God's will, which is Christ, and that Christ is formed in me. And that is crucial, more than anything else, that my goal, my ultimate goal, is to become like Christ. Everything else is secondary. Paul writing to the Philippians, again, Philippians chapter three, he says that I may know him. That I may know him that I may know him so intimately that I'm becoming like him, that I partake with him. That is really what Paul says. 
That is my goal. That is my purpose. That I may know Christ. And it's simply not knowing about him. But it is knowing him so intimately. So deeply. That Christ is being formed in me. And Paul says everything else is secondary. My background. My pedigree. My, my degrees. Uh, the fact that I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. A Hebrew of Hebrews. All of that is a material. Because I am a disciple of Christ. And I'm growing to become like him. That was his all-consuming purpose in life. And it seems to me that that must be ours as well. As a church. As individuals. Who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That must be our all-consuming purpose. To be like him. And we sang that song, didn't we? To be like him. Oh, to be like him. But if that is my all-consuming purpose, how do I get there? That is the next question. So if I am a disciple of Christ and my all-consuming purpose is to become like Christ, how do I get there? And that's the third one. Know your leader. Who do you follow? And it's as simple as that. But that is something I want to affirm for us this morning. And next week we look a little more deeply at what it means to become like Christ and to grow in holiness. But I must know my leader. And actually John Ortberg, and, and Henry knows him well, John Ortberg says it's not about being exotic or elite, it's all about becoming like Christ. It's just simply this, it's about becoming like Christ. But in order for that to happen, I must know my leader. I must know my Lord. Again, it's not simply a knowing about him. You know, back, <laughs> I remember one of my things that, one of the things I do back home is, is visit seminaries for accreditation purposes and do assessments and, and eva evaluations. And I'm always saddened by the fact that in our seminaries, we know all about scripture, all the theories about scripture, we know all the theories about Christ, all the controversies that surround Christ, but we rarely know him. And the knowing that Paul writes about and scripture writes about is a knowing that has to do with deep intimacy. It's the intimacy that's experienced between a husband and wife. And it's that type of an intimacy that we're asked. That is what... That's the intimacy with which we are to know Jesus. But how do I know him? How do I get to my goal? I must know Jesus. And we've already talked about Paul in Philippians and he says I may know him and that is his consuming purpose. Walking with Christ daily. Knowing him intimately through his word. And then living like him. There was a young man in, um, in one of the seminaries I was teaching at initially when we went back home. Um, he came to me in my office and he said, Sir, I'd like to talk to you for a bit. I want to share my vision with you. And so as we sat and talked, we talked about his academics. And then he said, my vision is to have a bigger church. And I don't know how many of you have heard of Paul, some of us have, Paul Yonggi Cho in Korea, right? Paul Yonggi-cho had this huge, massive congregation, the largest possibly in the world. 
And so this young man sits in front of me and he says, Sir, my desire and my vision is to show people that in India we can have a church bigger than Paul Yonggi Cho's church. And so I looked at him and I said, uh, well, I didn't say what, I thought of it. And I just said, what? <laughs> and then I was praying. I said, Lord, how do you want me to respond to this young man? He's sitting here. And as I prayed and just asked the Lord, the Lord said, ask him this one question. And I looked at him and I said, Pankaj, his name. I said, but shouldn't your goal be to be like Jesus and to know him? And then he looked at me strangely and he said, sir, for the first time, somebody has asked me this question. In all my, year, in all my years in seminary, nobody has asked me this question. And I walked away thinking, we've put students through seminaries, but we've never asked them this one basic question. Do you know Jesus? Do you want to be like him? And shouldn't you be like him? Isn't that the crucial thing? Learning to love Jesus. And if that has not happened in our churches, if that has not been taught, if that is not happening in our seminaries, no wonder we are worried about our church. Because the important thing is that we know Jesus. That we grow to be like him. Grow to, grow to submit to him. Now as I think about Jesus. He was constantly in a state of submission to his father. There was never a moment he was not in submission to God the father. As you read through the gospels. We are called to know him by submitting to him, surrendering all that we have, all that we are to Jesus. Philippians 2, Jesus, there's a beautiful passage in um, the hymn that Paul writes about Jesus' self-submission to God the Father. He says, who even though he could have been God, he did not, and it wasn't something to be grasped after, it was, he was divine, but he humbled himself and he obeyed. We know Christ through submitting and obeying him. We know Christ as we live out our lives that are selfless. And we'll talk about that next week a little bit more in depth. We live out a selfless life as we, as we, as we demonstrate selflessness the same way Christ demonstrated selflessness. And we live like him, we get to know him. As we live a life of service, if you want to take those three S's, submission, selflessness, and service, look at John chapter 13, which is the beautiful passage in, on, on Jesus serving. As we serve one another, the way Christ served, we grow to be like him. And so who are you? I hope you introduce yourself as a disciple of Christ. It's a challenging thing to do, I know, in this country. Maybe a little easier for me in India to say, I'm a disciple of my guru, Jesus. <laughs> and nobody's going to blink an eye or bat an eyelid at that. But a little more challenging here, isn't it? Where faith is private and is hardly public. But is your identity wrapped up with who Jesus is? And the fact that you're his disciple what is your goal? Apart from anything else, what is your all-consuming goal? Is it to be like Jesus? 
If it isn't, then there's something wrong. And how do you get there? Know him intimately. Take every opportunity you can, reading through his word, being with his people, learning from the master himself, and living like him, getting to know him intimately. Then I'm on the way to becoming spiritually formed. And as Paul says in Galatians, he's in the pains of childbirth to see Christ formed. Guys, we don't know. The women know what that means. <laughs> but just the pain of seeing Christ formed in those that he was writing to. I hope Christ is formed in us. The world doesn't need big preachers. The world doesn't need smart teachers. The world simply needs people who know Christ and who live like him. That's it. I'm fully more and more convinced of this. Is that your goal, to be like Christ? Dallas Willard, can we just have that quote? So spiritual formation are those processes through which people are inwardly transformed in such a way that the personality and deeds of Christ naturally flow out from them whenever and wherever they are. May the Lord bless us on this journey. May the Lord enable us to become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Who are you? What is your goal? Are you getting there? Simple, but I hope it speaks to us um, at the core of our being. May you be formed like Christ.